Brick Moon Fiction presents Lunar Threat by Kelsey N. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Mayday, Mayday, this is the passenger ship Little Fish on a translunar course calling for assistance. Mayday, Mayday. Our main thrusters have malfunctioned with random burns and at least one side maneuvering thruster has blown. We are off course and the helm is unresponsive. Mayday, Mayday. This is the Little Fish. Can anyone hear this? Damn it. Ace tore off her headphones and swore, slamming them down on their cradle. The only thing stopping her from throwing them across the cabin was long ingrained habit. You don't get to be the top rocket jockey in the business if you're prone to physical outbursts. Camilla, she barked instead. Have you got me anything? This panel's deader than a whiskey bar in Salt Lake City. Only part of the woman she addressed was visible, the rest quite literally buried under the forward console of the ship. Her voice from below the readouts was muffled, but clear and calm despite the situation and Ace's ire. I think I'm on to something. There are a lot of black boxes that I don't understand in Mr. Dorado's designs that's holding me back. I think I can get you enough to stop us going splat, but that's it. Without knowing how these components work, I can't do any better than that. Ace snorted. Well, the man himself is right here. Just ask him. She turned back to the passengers, seated not far behind her. Wallen Dorado, you're there, right? How about some help? The old man, easily in his seventies, turned his head from the viewport to face her. It was significant that he was on board, given that he designed most of the ship's systems himself. Indeed, he was the visionary that made commercial spaceflight possible, with the first orbital passengers taking short trips only a few years before. It was no exaggeration to suggest he was Dorado Aerospace. "'There's nothing I can help with, young lady,' he said, with an oddly gleeful tone to his voice. "'Those components are necessary for the ship's function, but they would take months to make you understand them, if not years.' but I trust you'll get us down safely. With that, he merely turned away, as if that ended it. Looking away from the old man, Ace turned her attention to the attendant next to him. Lily, we're headed for a hard landing, so we need these passengers secure. Get the lead out. Busying herself with helping Mr. Dorado's wife, Evelyn, with her straps, Lily paid the pilot no mind. Instead, she looked around at the others who were allowed to come along on this, the first passenger ship to loop around the moon. They were a star-studded bunch, literally in the case of Sylvia Stone, the actress. Next to her was Latif Shaman, the publishing mogul, and financier Pamish Tandu. The others on board were no less accomplished or wealthy. The loss of the little fish would be the talk of the whole world, even if Ace's calls for help were never heard. Perhaps they'd become a legend, like the Mary Celeste. Not letting her musings stop her hands, Lily worked efficiently, securing the passengers and a number of the crew before strapping herself in. Ready, Captain? she called forward, once she buckled the last piece of webbing in place. Ace nodded before calling out in her best voice of authority. All hands, brace for impact. We haven't fully established control and are headed for a hard landing in Jules Verne Z crater on the dark side of the moon. There is no dark side of the moon, really, interjected Dr. Milo Tan with a derisive sniff. Matter of fact, it's all dark. The only thing that makes it look light is the sun. We'll hold on tight, replied Ace, because we're going where the sun don't shine. When Lily came to her senses, the world was full of smoke and darkness and noise. In a strange way, it was comforting to have an actual plane crash atmosphere after the strangely quiet and calm descent to the lunar surface, Ace's cursing all the way notwithstanding. She pushed the thought away, the need for action outweighing all else. She unhooked her crash webbing and slipped out of her seat, thankful at least the floor was almost level. Retrieving a flashlight from her uniform, 
She dropped low to avoid the smoke and took stock of the situation. There were no visible fires, which was good enough, but smoke seemed to be seeping in through the ventilation system. That suggested that there was something burning inside the walls, which wasn't good. Worse was the gash cut in the side of the ship. What the hell? she exclaimed out loud. It made no sense, but there it was. A breach had been cut in the side of the hull, exposing the ship to what should have been a vacuum that would have killed them all by now. And yet there was no air rushing out of the ship. Instead, air seemed to be coming in, along with enough light to see which way to go. She shot a glance toward Wallen Dorado, but he too had been knocked senseless in the crash and was being helped by his wife. The older woman had already unhooked herself and was helping him and others nearby to calm down and get clear. She clearly had the right idea, and Lily started doing the same, checking for injuries and freeing passengers. Everyone, she called, get through the emergency exits and away from the ship. It's not safe here. Help the people near you if you can. She began to crawl forward, along the place the hull was torn away. As expected, it was a grisly sight. Everyone seated against the very side were killed, probably instantly. Mostly it was crew members, people she worked and trained with to ready themselves for this trip, but a few famous faces lay among them. She took note of who they were and kept moving. Reaching the pilot's seat, she found Ace slumped over her controls but thankfully still breathing. Her crash webbing had given away and she had a bad knock on the head, but thankfully didn't seem to be too seriously harmed. Let me help, said Camilla, suddenly appearing at her side. It's a risk moving her, but there's no choice. Come on, grab her arm. Between the two of them, they managed to wrestle the unconscious woman out of her seat and through the hatch. The survivors gathered a dozen meters away, and a couple came forward to help. Together, the whole group moved even further back. What the hell is going on here? demanded Dr. Tan, his voice unsteady. There's light here. And air. This is the moon. There shouldn't be either of those things. And look. He jumped as best he could, but only managed a short hop. The gravity is equivalent to Earth's. Others were picking up on the theme. One voice called out, Were we hoaxed somehow? Is this really Earth after all? A murmur ran around the group until Camilla stepped forward. Calm down, everyone, she said. I don't understand this any more than you folks, but we're definitely on the moon. Remember, you were all weightless right before the crash, so we couldn't have been on Earth then. What we need to do is keep calm and figure out what's happening here. Lily stepped forward. Everyone, please get in a group so we can get a head count. Before anything else, we need to get a head count of who all made it out. Without waiting further, she started calling out names from memory. One by one, they replied as their names were called out, and the pause when someone didn't reply quieted any remaining murmurs. They all knew what that meant and it underlined the seriousness of their situation. After only a few names, though, Lily found herself interrupted. Wallen? came a voice. Where's Wallen? A figure broke from the group, easily recognizable as Evelyn Dorado. Have you seen Wallen? I know he made it out. I was with him the whole time. But now he's missing. This was enough to break the fragile silence, as all the survivors started looking around in consternation. It was true, he wasn't with the group. Indeed, it was like he wasn't there at all. One of the group, who she recognized as the politician Carl Hodges, stepped forward. Now see here, young lady. This sham has gone on far enough. First you tell us that we're on the moon, when it's clearly not, and now the man who runs the company that sent us here is missing somehow? It's outrageous. I demand... 
None of them would find out what he demanded, as a brilliant beam of light came seemingly out of nowhere, striking the man. He stiffened momentarily, as if hit by lightning, then fell to the ground. Before anyone could react, another beam struck someone else, then another. As panic took hold, a group of black-clad figures came forward, firing at the group. People scattered, fleeing for their lives, and the figures kept firing methodically at them, bringing them down easily. One of the crew members, a woman named Tanisha, rushed at the closest figure, throwing a deftly executed punch at its midsection. Her attempt did no good, as her fist connected with an audible crack and she staggered momentarily in pain. The figure was unmoved, however, and retaliated almost immediately. Its free hand swung around with startling speed and power, catching Tanisha on the side of the head and she was sent flying. When she hit the ground, her neck was twisted at an impossible angle. Unmoved, the figure turned away and returned to its task of firing at the fleeing group. Lily kept low, moving quickly toward anyone she could and pushing them to run toward the ship. One by one, she grabbed as many as she could to usher toward the one place of relative safety, the cloud of smoke coming from the burning engines. Fortunately, the black figures seemed to be concerned with hunting down those who had run away first, likely planning to narrow their field of attack. She was counting on this being the case as she led her group into the haze. Keeping them together, she led them to keep moving, skirting around to place the little fish between them and their attackers. Scanning their surroundings, she spotted a rockfall some distance away and encouraged them quietly to run for it. Thankfully, they all seemed to understand, and they moved as quickly as they could into cover. Once into relative safety, she took stock of the situation. There were only eight of them, out of a group originally much larger even after the losses they faced in the crash. There was herself and Mrs. Dorado, Dr. Tan and Sylvia Stone, Latif Shimon made it as well as another actor she recognized, Maki Tendu. Of the crew, Camilla was there, which she was glad to see, as well as the mission specialist Ursula Bondar and another attendant, Yuri Lykov. Not a lot, but rescuing anyone at this point was a small victory. We can't stay here, she told them. They'll be after us, and I'm not sure we can fight them all off. There were nods all around. They all saw what happened to Tanisha and didn't want to face the same thing. Why can't we just stay here? asked Dr. Tan. Those people don't seem to have followed us, so why not just hole up and wait for them to leave? Because, said Lily, eventually they will find us. And even if they didn't, how long will we survive out here? It's a crater with nothing in it. He began to come back with a response, but instead shouted, Look out! Lily dived to one side immediately, not even looking at what she was avoiding. A beam of light hit the place she was, fortunately doing no real harm. She rolled into a crouch, running forward toward the black figure that now stood in full view in front of her. As she came close, she saw its arm pull back, releasing again almost immediately for a deadly blow, but that blow never connected. She dropped surprisingly fast, dodging under it while still moving forward to find her way behind it. Slipping a hand into her uniform, she brought out a small disc which fit into her palm. The enemy turned, but she stuck with it, her free hand reaching out and grabbing the heavy fabric that covered its entire body and lifted, slipping the disc underneath. Pressing her palm flat, the device activated with a click. The effect was dramatic, as the black-clad figure went briefly into convulsions, leaving it unable to support itself. It fell, still twitching, and Lily was on it in an instant, pulling off its hood to reveal something completely inhuman. Quick, I need a sharp rock, she ordered as she gripped its head, 
and pulled to one side and pulled as hard as she could. That broke the spell on the others, who had been caught flat-footed by the sudden assault. Latif came forward with just what she asked for, and without asking brought it with everything he had on the neck joint of what was unquestionably a robot. Sparks flew, and his initial attack penetrated into the small gap between head and body which Lily exposed. He raised it high and struck again, then a third time nearly severed it entirely. The machine was clearly dead, and he sat back with a long exhalation. That was close. What the hell is that thing? No time, said Lily. We're too exposed here. We'll cut round the ship to the left, then back along the path the other robots took. We should be able to see their tracks in the dust pretty easily, so we'll follow them back to their base. Now move. Obediently, they did as they were told. Lily retrieved her disc and followed close behind, keeping an eye for pursuers. By a stroke of luck, only a single hunter had come to find them, but it was possible more would be there soon. The trail back to the robot's origin was easier to find than expected. By the time they found it and started to follow it back, a group of figures dressed in a lighter gray appeared, following a straight line toward the wreck. Laborers, most likely, she whispered, sent to scavenge the ship. There was little to say, and presently they found yet another anomaly in Jules Verne Z crater. Not simply air, light, and gravity, but a large set of doors set into the cliff face. Footsteps led to and from it, no doubt created by the various robots. Not seeing any movement nearby, Lily slipped forward to examine the door. Finding a control panel off to one side, she produced a small case from somewhere on her uniform, about the size of a wallet. Inside were little tools, which she used to fiddle with the panel until the doors finally slid open and let them in. Before they entered, Lily stopped them for a moment. Before we go on, I need to tell you what you're getting into. I'll explain more fully later, but you need to know. The man you know as Wallen Dorado, tech maverick and visionary, is not human. He's an alien from beyond our solar system. As for me, I'm working to prevent his plans to attack the Earth. You can call me Agent Nine. Inside the doorway, which Lily, or rather Agent Nine, took a moment to disable with her little toolkit, a passageway led downward, quickly bringing the group down below the lunar surface. It was well lit by long bars of light, a marked difference from the diffuse light in the crater above that seemed to have no particular source. Staying to the side, the group descended quickly so as to get as much distance as they could from their last known position. Therefore, once the passage widened and side paths became available, they took the first one they found. As luck would have it, the passage was one used by the gray laborer robots, and there was a tense moment where all eight of them flattened themselves against the wall when one passed by, praying they wouldn't be seen. But they weren't, or at least if they were, the laborers cared about nothing but their assigned task, as they gave no indication of even detecting them. It looks like these critters are pretty simple-minded, observed Sylvia, as they moved on again. They got a job to do, and that's the end of it. Agent Nine nodded in agreement, although she was still careful to steer them clear whenever possible. It was possible they had defense routines the same as the hunters, and she didn't want to test that. The base, or at least the upper sections of it, were busy with activity. Laborers came and went with containers of various sorts, bustling back and forth from storage areas to points unknown. Agent Nine wondered if this was the constant state of things, or whether their arrival had kicked things into action. It was while she was pondering this that they came to a chamber lined with alcoves, with shelving in between holding a variety of objects that seemed to be tools. There was no chance to examine them, however, 
as one of the inhabitants of those alcoves, a black-clad hunter robot, stepped forward and turned to face them. It fired immediately, catching Yuri in the chest. He went down with barely a sound, even as both Agent Nine and Latif sprang into action. She cursed inwardly as she flew forward, knowing that she could waste no movement in protecting a civilian in a battle like this, but at the same time she could not afford to let him be hurt needlessly. Therefore, rather than baiting out a swipe which might have hit her companion, she dove in toward its gun hand instead, forcing it to grab at her instead. The effort worked, and she felt herself lifted by the back of her uniform. However, rather than wait to be thrown full force into the wall, she twisted her body to lock both legs around the thing's head, wrenching its hood off and throwing the disruptor disc she already had to hand at its face. A parting kick was all it took to activate it, and both she and the robot fell together. Her landing was the easier of the two, but it left her defenseless for a moment. That's when she realized that her target had a partner as well. It had clearly identified her as the primary threat and its gun was now aiming directly at her. Before it could fire, a savage kick to its forearm threw off its aim, harmlessly hitting the wall instead. Latif, who saw it stepping forward while she was dealing with the first one, saved her from a certain zapping, but was now open to retaliation. But as it swung, Latif moved with it gracefully. He wasn't able to avoid the entire blow, but he took it and remained standing, even if staggered. The robot reared back in order to take another shot, but the man was ready and body-checked it at a low point, forcing it off balance. That was the opening Agent 9 needed. She grabbed her disruptor disc and threw it, unerringly aiming at a piece of metal skin now exposed by the tussle. It landed true, and there was no need to tell Latif what to do. He slipped in and hit the disc in its center, with the same results as the other times. The others were already upon the first robot, who was making signs as if to stand again. The tools nearby came in handy in incapacitating it, and then the other before it could recover fully. Quiet reigned the chamber again, save for the panting of the various humans. Let's get these things out of sight, said Agent Nine, looking toward the side rooms. And bring some of those tools, maybe we can get some use out of them on these things. After a quick scout revealed the furthest room to be uninhabited by robots, they dragged the hunters inside, and carried Yuri in as well. He was breathing, at least, which gave them hope that the others who'd been shot in the initial attack were alive as well. Wallen needs us for some reason, she said, otherwise he would have just had them kill us all. Dr. Tan scoffed. You're back to that nonsense? I still don't believe that Mr. Dorado has anything to do with all this. He was probably the first one shot before we noticed the robots coming. It doesn't matter if you believe it. The truth is I've had him under surveillance for years, since shortly after he came to Earth. I'm not sure why he came, but his activities there point to laying the groundwork to get him back up here again. The next time he descends, it'll be with an invasion force at his back. Make no mistake. It's your word against his, and frankly, without some kind of evidence, I refuse to hear you slander his name further. A hand on his shoulder made him start, doubly so given it belonged to the wife of the man he was defending. If you don't mind, Evelyn said, I think I can provide that evidence. Do you remember those alcoves out front where the robots were standing? Yes, but I don't see... Now look at the feet of those robots Camilla and Sylvia are so fascinated with. Do they look familiar at all? Robot feet? asked Dr. Tan. I don't see what this has to do with Wallen. She shook her head a bit sadly. They're the same as his quick jolt charging stations. In fact, the original design drawings he made looked exactly like those alcoves. 
He just adapted them bit by bit until they were something he could sell on the market. Now they're everywhere. Dr. Tan looked flustered. All right, so maybe he has some kind of connection. But what about all the good he does in the world? His foundations? The technology grants? Why would an evil invader do all that? Oh my, said Evelyn, almost pleased. That was all my doing. But you wouldn't know, the big secret between Wallen and I. While we were legally married, it was hardly a real marriage at all. I was more like a friendly face to show the public in order to make him look more approachable. The charity and outreach work was all my idea, and he let me run it however I wished, with an unlimited budget. I always thought he was just bad with people, but now that I've seen all of this, I wonder if it was something more calculated. Dr. Tan started mumbling about Wallen being slandered, but he was interrupted by the man's own voice, which seemed to come from somewhere above them. Everyone jumped back from what they were doing, half expecting the doors to burst open and all of them gunned down, but no such thing happened. This is Wallen Dorado, broadcasting a message to the intruders who have so far evaded capture. You must be very proud of the tiny bit of trouble you've caused, but it's futile to resist any further. Come give yourselves up now, and we can all save ourselves some trouble. Remember, you're more useful to me alive, but I'm fine either way. You aren't indispensable. Dorado out. With that, the intercoms went dead, leaving only a significant silence in the room. I suppose that satisfies your need for proof, said Agent Nine. He didn't seem interested in responding, and was saved further embarrassment by Sylvia and Camilla walking up, the former almost bouncing with excitement. Never mind the old spoil sport, she said. We've got some good news for you. Cammy and I got them pistol things working and rejiggered them so they'd work something like that little gizmo you have, just with more of a punch. I figure we shoot one of those hunters a couple of times. They'll stay down for good. Camilla laughed at her new friend's enthusiasm. Turns out Sylvia here has a real talent for electronics. Who knew? Oh, heck, I learned that at my mama's knee, following her around to jobs as an electrician. Worked at it myself for a while before I got the acting bug, and I still take stuff apart and put it together better as a hobby. Just glad I got a chance to put my skills to some real use. Well, in any case, said Camilla, the trick was in the firing mechanism, which was keyed to the robot's hands. We jerry-rigged a squeeze mechanism in its place, which should work for human hands, and changed the frequency of the beam so it would disrupt electronics pretty well. Some good engineering went into these. Pity it's for such a poor purpose. Agent Nine smiled at them. Good work, you two. Rig up a couple more of these, and we'll get on the move as soon as Yuri's back to himself again. I see he's starting to stir already. Roger, both of them said together, before rushing back to their makeshift workbench. It wasn't long before they were on their way again, delving deeper and deeper as they went. There always seemed to be another passage downward, and the deeper they went, the further away safety seemed. The whole group was on edge, even Agent Nine herself, constantly watching their surroundings and sticking to what shadows and hiding places they could. This proved a useful strategy as they happened across another pair of hunters, quite possibly on the lookout for them. Wallen knew they were on the loose inside the base, so naturally there would be resistance. It was a good test for Sylvia and Camilla's weapons modifications, and their caution allowed them for once to get the drop on the enemy. And as a result, two more weapons. It only took a few minutes to make the alterations, thus doubling their arsenal. Now Sylvia, Camilla, Agent Nine, and Evelyn were armed, Latif and Dr. Tan both refusing when offered. For his part, 
Latif showed at the next encounter with a lone hunter they encountered that he could make do quite well without a weapon. The hunters were out in force, patrolling the levels in an effort to find them. Not wanting to risk using their commandeered weapons too much for fear of running out of charge in tough situations, Agent 9 cautioned them to stay away from battle. But when they managed to get behind a lone hunter with no others nearby, Latif rushed forward rather than remain in hiding, before any of them could react. Although Agent 9 recovered much faster than the others, he was upon it, choosing to grapple with the robot rather than attack with force. Quickly, he slipped behind it and took position just behind its shoulder, on the side without a gun, locking one arm under what would normally be a bicep, and used that for leverage to pull himself up and hook a leg over its opposite shoulder. This placed him in a position the machine couldn't easily reach with its usual sweeping blow, and despite its superior strength, he was able to control its gun arm enough to prevent it shooting at him. So it took the logical next step, attempting to raise its arm and grab at him. This was what Latif was waiting for, and he shifted position once again, fully mounting its shoulder and adding his strength to the machine's, pulling the arm upward. A series of cracks could be heard as the mechanism inside its arm gave out, apparently not designed to take the strain. With one arm now useless, the hunter did not appear to have a backup plan, save to continue trying to shake him off with its remaining arm. It proved a simple matter from there for him to completely incapacitate it, practically pulling its head off via clever use of leverage. The machine fell with a hard clang as the man neatly stepped off to proudly examine his handiwork. Agent Nine was not so impressed. That was foolish, she hissed. You could have been killed by that thing. But I wasn't, he said affably, not affected at all by her criticism. There were things I needed to test out, and I think I'm on the right track. We can't leave everything to those guns of Sylvia's, after all. I still don't approve. You're right that we need more in our arsenal than just a few disruptor guns, but running off half-cocked like that isn't how to do it. Next time, at least give me some warning. I'll back you up. Roger Dodger, Captain. Despite her disapproval, Agent Nine seemed to take his words to heart, scouring the next few workshops they happened upon for parts. She seemed to favor smaller, sharper items, the sort of thing that could be hidden about one's person, and she seemed to be a master at it. Everything she picked up seemed to simply vanish, and it was a matter of speculation where it all went. Still, she needed some way to tie her personal arsenal together, given small cutting implements could only be of so much use against the machines. It was during one of these gathering spots that they were again taken by surprise. While Agent 9 kept scouring for new weapons, Sylvia and Camilla were lost in their own little world of gadgets and wiring, and Latif was working out new anti-robot techniques. It was Evelyn who raised the alarm. Hunter! She called, hustling Dr. Tan and the others back away from the interloper. But it was clear from the start this wasn't a regular hunter. Even aside from its covering being a scarlet red, it was larger and had a more hulking posture. It advanced on the group with a deliberate, heavy step, but didn't draw its weapon. Surrender, it said, the first of its kind to speak. Its voice was strangely modulated to the point of being inhuman, and while there was no intonation to speak of, it sounded like a threat. Sylvia managed to react quick enough to get a shot off, the beam lancing out and catching the thing in the shoulder. Normally that alone would have been enough to cause a noticeable reaction, but this one barely seemed to notice. Instead it lunged forward, attempting to grab the nearest target, which happened to be Agent Nine. It was fortunate that the thing chose her, as her impeccable reflexes allowed her to narrowly dodge away, dancing back even as she looked for some sort of weakness. 
More beams lanced past her into the thing, as ineffective as the first. Rushing past to take the initiative, Latif went on the attack, expecting the usual pre-programmed reach to one side followed by a swipe. Instead, its arm went up, going against expectations, and swept down in an arc that would have caught him on his unguarded side. Too late to move, Latif realized just what grave danger he put himself in. But instead of a fatal blow to the body, he found himself grabbed and swung clear by a much smaller set of hands. Agent Nine, catching him and using his own momentum to throw him, took the blow instead, which lifted her into the air and slammed her against the wall. Her body fell to the floor and did not move. But losing one of their own and the effective leader of the group wasn't the worst of it. The violence of the attacker's blow had shaken the cloth covering, and as it turned, surprisingly fast given its bulk, back to face the others, its hood loosened and finally fell off. Instead of the robotic features they'd come to expect, this one had the face of Tanisha, the first one to die at the hands of the hunters. It sneered at them and glared with glassy eyes. This had an immediate, visceral effect on the group of survivors. The confidence they'd built as a group evaporated, and as one, they turned to flee. They didn't get far. The next room was mainly a staging area for materials meant for the automatic fabrication plant next door. They ran into the plant, thankful at least it was big enough to avoid the horror that followed them. But unless they were to get past it, there was no way out. What the hell is that thing? said Camilla, clearly shaken. It can't be Tanisha. It can't. Sylvia took her hand, trying to help get her under control. I don't know. It's after us, though, and I don't think we've got anything that can help us. We've got to find something, said Latif, already taking stock of the surroundings. I can try fighting it again, but I'm not confident that I can take it on my own. There's got to be something we can do. The plant was spacious, with multiple stations stamping out parts that were clearly meant for robot assembly. Armored chest coverings were cut and shaped before transferring onto conveyors leading away that were sadly too small to fit a person on. Arm and leg casings, too, were made here, before being sent to some distant assembly facility. Tools were in short supply. I think we can do something, said Sylvia, but we need time. If you can keep it away from us, we can do the rest. Cammy, you've got to focus. Work with me here. She pulled the other woman to the far side of the area, hiding with her behind some busy machinery. Latif watched them go before the sound of the robot with Tanisha's face bursting through the door and emitting a strange, atonal roar. It advanced on them, seemingly eager to strike down more humans. Darting in front of it, Latif called to the rest of the group. Let me handle this. Move as a group and keep as far from it as you can. I'll keep its attention until we can figure out something. Grabbing one of the arm casings as it rolled past, he threw it at the thing with all his might. It swatted the object harmlessly out of the air, but it had the intended effect. Now it registered Latif as the primary threat and advanced on him with single-minded focus. Around and around the two of them danced, and some things became clear. First, not Tanisha had a very limited range of attention. The more Latif taunted it, the more it ignored all else, barely reacting when the others, who up until now were merely keeping out of its way, came close. Second, it was much stronger and more resilient than the hunters, but at the cost of a slower movement speed. It was heavier by far, although it could still lash out with its arms with murderous speed and power. Third, and most distressingly, it was tough as nails and unaffected by disruptors. 
which the others proved by occasionally taking pot shots at it when they were able. All the while, Latif's mind was racing, trying to figure out how to keep it in one place. If he could do so, then even if Sylvia and Camilla weren't able to come up with a way to fight it, the group would at least have the opportunity to run. Casting his eyes about, he came up with a plan and bided his time until all was ready. His clue was Sylvia bursting forth from her hiding place to run to the far side of the room. She had what seemed like the same weapon as before, but its barrel was cut off completely and parts seemed to be sticking out. But he had no time for a detailed examination of the device. He had his own plan to put in order, keeping out of the monstrosity's reach, but remaining close enough to keep its attention on him. He led it around the room until he could reach for the arm piece he'd thrown earlier. Once he had the opportunity, he threw it to Yuri, shouting, Use those stamping machines to make it narrower, as much as you can. Yuri did as he was told, and with only a few attempts turned the curved metal into a smaller cylindrical shape. It was anything but a neat job, but it'd do in a pinch. Seeing this, Latif nodded and pointed at one of the machine presses, the large one that pressed out the chest pieces. There was a slot that became visible when it was in the down position, and it was clear what the plan was. Changing tactics, Latif scooped up and threw another item at the creature, then rather than dodging around the perimeter placed himself on the opposite side of the chest piece press. The two of them danced around it briefly before the robot decided on the direct approach, and while the press was up, lunged for Latif, barely missing him in the process. Yuri, meanwhile, was ready and rushed forward. When the press predictably came down on the thing's arm, he thrust his metal piece in as hard as he could wedging the machine in place. It strained, hydraulics pushing at the obstruction, and it was clear that it would only hold for a matter of seconds. The creature roared again, pulling against the press in order to get free. Those seconds, and the distraction, were all Sylvia needed. She, too, ran into the fray, powering up her weapon. Almost instantly, the exposed pieces flared white-hot and a whine filled the room. The creature seemed to notice at least on some dim level, that something was happening, and tried all the harder to pull away, inadvertently wedging the press in place even tighter as it was pulled off center. Sylvia pressed her weapon against the neck joint and squeezed the trigger hard. The stench that came out of the thing was horrendous. It was burning wire. It was chemicals boiling. It was burning meat. But it was also effective, and the thing let out a sound entirely unlike the roars earlier that cut off quickly convulsed twice, then fell limp. It was dead, if it were ever really alive to start with. The three who had done battle fairly collapsed in their respective positions. Camilla came out of hiding to Sylvia's side, encouraging her to move away from the thing, even as she barely had the fortitude to look at it herself. Latif and Yuri both picked themselves up and, grinning, gave each other an enthusiastic hug as the others came to help as well. We need to get back, said Evelyn. Poor Agent Nine, she doesn't deserve to be left here, and maybe turned into something like that. They all agreed, but as they arrived where the creature first appeared, they were surprised to find not a corpse, but a very alive woman. A bit shaky as she made her way to her feet, but alive nonetheless. Sorry. Sorry to miss all the fun, she said. I wasn't feeling up to it. The others rushed to her side, and Latif offered his shoulder for support. She smiled at him. Nice of you to offer. I'll take it for now. Don't worry, I recover pretty quick. Might take me an hour or so after that. Huh. 
Dr. Tan looked skeptical. I can't believe you're able to stand at all after that. Any one of us would have been dead instantly. What the hell are you, an alien like you say Wallen is? She shook her head. I'm not one of his people. I work for them, though. But are you human? Let's just say I'm on the alien side, she said, and leave it at that. Don't worry, I'm on your side, too. Oh, leave her be, said Evelyn. We've got to keep moving. I can't believe all that wreckage won't bring the hunters down on us, and now we're one gun short. Seeing the wisdom of her words, the group moved off, taking a deliberately erratic route away from the site of the battle. Along the way, they described what happened with the Tanisha robot and how it seemed so different from the hunters. Cyborg, Agent Nine snorted, as if she smelled something distasteful. That absolute monster. So that's why he wanted all of us dead or alive. You know about those things? Asked Sylvia. Theoretically, yes. My employers have the technology, but it's considered incredibly unethical. It looks like Wallen is so desperate to take over the Earth he's willing to cross those boundaries, too. It sounds like these other aliens are okay, folks. Agent Nine smiled. She was already recovering from her trauma, although she still limped a bit and clearly had moments of pain. They believe in autonomy for all things. Earth is at a point where we could suddenly make the leap out into the stars, and they want to protect us from outside influence until we're ready, and then they'll be there, ready to greet us. But Wallen... He's different. He sees us as inferior and wants to subjugate us instead, using our resources to his own ends. Stopping him, and those like him, are what people like me are there for. Sylvia was about to comment further, but instead she stopped, waving at the others to do so as well. She made a show of listening intently, and the rest of the group followed suit. Camilla was the first to pick up on the hint. Is that... swearing? Ace! exclaimed Agent Nine and Yuri at the same time, grinning. It's coming from that way, said Sylvia, taking the lead. The others followed, readying their weapons and expecting stiff opposition. Fortunately, the guards in the room they entered were only a couple of regular hunters, and with the remaining weapons they were finished off handily. Latif and Agent Nine incapacitated the worker bots that were near the source of the colorful language, a tall, muscular, mostly naked woman strapped down to a table. Surgical equipment was laid out nearby, and it appeared they arrived just in time. Don't just stand there admiring the goods, she said testily. Get me out of this thing so I can turn these pieces of crap into real pieces of crap. Agent Nine laughed. Sure thing, Ace. Just give me a second. She produced a bladed tool from somewhere on her person and took several precise swipes, cutting away the straps holding the woman down. Ace stretched and hopped up, as if from a refreshing nap. All right, good to see you. Now what the hell is going on? That old man's crazy, way crazier than you think, and he's going to turn us all into those robot things. He says that they're smarter and more powerful if the subject is alive, and I mean to smash his face in before he gets the chance. We're with you, Ace, said Agent Nine, but before we do that, we need to get a few things ready. Why don't you find something to wear and figure out something as a weapon in the meantime? It's going to be a fight, probably a big one. Ace cracked her knuckles and grinned. I'll go naked if I have to, but I get your meaning. Maybe if I tear up some of those robot outfits. While she busied herself stripping the hunters, Agent Nine conferred with Sylvia and Camilla, both of whom seemed excited by her ideas. 
Together, the three of them moved over to the table Ace was on and put their heads together, working out ways to make those ideas a reality. Unnoticed by the others, who were either recovering, busy, or keeping an eye out for danger, Dr. Tan found himself a little project of his own. Things had gone far enough, and he needed to take steps of his own. As they marched down the hallway, Ace leading the way, Agent Nine took stock of their assets. Thanks to a couple of stray hunters stumbling across the cyborg conversion lab, they now had five functional disruptor pistols, as well as Sylvia's heavily modified one. Latif was becoming more adept at exploiting what weaknesses he could find in robot designs and compensating for the speed of their blows. And Evelyn's memories of Wallen's initial design drawings gave insight into how his technology worked. As for Ace, she at least covered up a little. Wallen's machines hadn't totally stripped her, leaving her with underwear and shoes, probably because they didn't need those parts. A few strips torn from a hunter's uniform served as a makeshift sports bra and matching loincloth. Her muscular shoulders and bare midriff were left bare, and Agent Nine found her to be a distracting, if welcome, addition to the party. As to her own weapon, Ace had decided on brute force over finesse, somehow finding something that looked like a large piston. Thanks to her passion for weight training, she could lift it easily with two hands, wrapping more torn cloth around the narrow end to create a makeshift mace. Anything hit with that, if not bolted to the floor, was likely to be sent flying. For an alien, the old man talks too much, Ace was saying as they walked, seemingly unconcerned about stealth. Maybe he just likes taunting us lesser animals or something. Anyhow, just like you said, he sabotaged the little fish so it would come down here. But that's only the start. All the tech his company made has black boxes that allow him to control it, or sabotage it somehow. It makes sense, said Agent Nine. That was probably why he went to Earth in the first place. If power grids and transportation systems went offline en masse, it would create chaos that he could easily take advantage of. Evelyn, walking next to them, spoke up. It's more than that. Most people don't know about it, but for the past few years Wallen's been dealing with governments all over the world, on a confidential basis. That includes a lot of military contracts. Crafty bastard, spat Ace, and it only gets worse. She didn't elaborate but instead led them to a large set of doors. These were built more heavily than the others, and didn't open automatically for them, but required some tinkering on Sylvia and Camilla's part. Once they opened, however, Ace's point became clear. They were in the corner of a warehouse, bigger than most of them had ever seen. It wasn't possible to see the end ahead, to their left, or even upwards. For all the distance they descended beneath the lunar surface, this room had easily that much height, reaching as much as a kilometer or more in any direction. But the worst was what filled the room. Robots. Hunter robots, to be specific. Hanging in racks that extended off into the distance, one above the other. There were easily thousands of them, if not considerably more. I don't think this is the only room like this, said Ace, although this alone is enough for a major attack. Wallen's ready for his invasion. He just needs to hit the switch. The group stood there gawking, letting her words sink in, save for Agent Nine. Her look was more calculating. It's time to go, she said, going from one person to another and urging them forward. We've got to rescue the others before we worry about this. Don't worry, I won't let Earth be attacked so easily. They were silent the rest of the way, which was fortunately clear of opposition. In fact, it was almost suspicious how not a single hunter barred their way 
despite Wallen having plenty to spare. He should have known about the cyborg being destroyed and Ace being set free already, and yet he hadn't flooded the corridors with robots. Agent 9 moved with caution, expecting an attack any moment. However, the attack didn't come. Not as they skirted the edge of the enormous warehouse, not through the passages and chambers that followed. In fact, there were no functioning robots at all, not even laborers, as they finally made it to the makeshift prison where the survivors of the little fish were held. It clearly wasn't meant to be a prison originally. Rather, it was a relatively posh chamber meant for human, or whatever Wallen actually was, habitation. Like some of the factory areas, this was a large space, but unlike those, this one was actually furnished and carpeted, with decorative items placed here and there. Some of the items were unfamiliar and inscrutable, pointing to Wallen's alien nature, but many were universal creature comforts such as padded seats and colorful artwork on the walls. The only jarring element were the steel bars, hastily erected to hold a group of humans in place. As they ran forward, Agent Nine did her best to hush the cheer which threatened to break out from captives and rescuers alike. They were obviously in Wallen's inner sanctum, and it wasn't wise to alert him to their presence. Still, it wasn't enough to stop the murmur as explanations were exchanged, generating many surprised glances in her direction. She did her best to suppress a smile at that as she made quick work of the lock mechanism. There was little time for celebration. As the human captives left their cage for the first time since they were captured, the doors slammed shut on their own, and a clearly audible click signified an automatic lock engaging. Not giving them time for surprise, the door at the other end of the room opened wide, revealing a familiar figure. Wallen Dorado, would-be technical renegade and self-appointed conqueror of Earth. He strode forward, clad in voluminous robes and standing taller than he ever had on Earth. Welcome, vermin, he said in a commanding voice. I am glad that you finally chose to surrender yourselves. Now be good raw material and return to your cage. I wouldn't want you damaged. Surprisingly, he actually seemed to mean his words, and he gestured at the open gate in emphasis. His offer only lasted a few moments, however, and when he realized that no one was taking him up on his offer. Perhaps you don't understand. You are such stupid creatures, after all. I am commanding you filth to get into your cage now. Most of the group steadfastly remained still, with Agent Nine and Ace at the fore glaring at him without a word. But one of the humans did stride forward, his head held high. It's all right, Mr. Dorado, said Dr. Tan. There's no need to get your hands dirty with all of this. I will be happy to herd these poor fools to their fate. Wallen regarded him curiously. Ah, I see. You must be the one who contacted me via the intercom system, letting me know where they were headed. That was most useful. It saved me wasting more enforcers on them. Dr. Tan beamed at the praise. I've always admired you, sir. And even though you might be an alien, I wanted to continue to support... He never completed his sentence. Without warning, Wallen lashed out, easily as fast as the robots under his command, smashing the scientist with an open hand that caused him to bend almost in half before his already lifeless body flew the dozen or so meters to the far side of the room, impacting against the wall with a sickening thud. He fell to the floor, unquestionably dead. I have no need of traitors or toadies but you will still serve me as one of my more bestial cyborgs. And now, 
he addressed the group, now keeping their distance from him even more. You've had a taste of my power. Get into the cage. The last shouted words made most of the group cringe involuntarily, but it also set three of them into motion. Agent Nine, Ace, and Latif all dashed forward, striking at Wallen in their own ways. Latif was the very picture of a martial artist at the top of his game, going for precision strikes and setting himself up for joint locks if the opportunity arose. Ace, for her part, preferred power and swung hard toward the man's body, and when blocked, simply wound up for another try. For her part, Agent Nine was all speed, doing her best to distract him from the others, catching him with lighter but faster blows than the others. "'Enough!' shouted Wallen, throwing all three of them back at once. In the space given by their need to recover their balance, he seemed to grow in stature, standing taller than before and seemingly wider as well. Serious now, he threw off his cloak to reveal a body that was no longer even close to human. With clearly robotic portions grafted to a mostly biological frame, he stalked forward, glaring at his three assailants while the others, beneath his notice, escaped to either side. I hate to waste materials, but when I finish with you, there won't be enough to make even one cyborg. Now, come meet your end so I may get back to work destroying your world. Again, the trio attacked, but this time the opposition was that much more difficult to fight. No longer hampered by hiding his true nature or by the cloak he wore, he was much faster now, more flexible, and more powerful by far than the cyborg earlier. Ace related how he bragged that living humans made superior cyborgs, but it turned out that a living and willing alien was a large step beyond even that. A super-cyborg of sorts. Latif struggled hard in finding vulnerable places to strike, but found himself concentrating far more on defense. Wallen, unlike the hunter robots, did not have pre-programmed responses, nor did he telegraph like the animalistic cyborg he'd fought already. Where one solid hit could mean his end, he found himself needing to observe much more carefully, which reduced his offense to almost nothing. Unlike him, Ace had no shortage of openings to attack. She simply swung as hard as she could, hoping to simply pummel Wallen into submission. However, she found her blows rebuffed as his hide was like armor, allowing him to simply shrug off most of her attacks. Even when one connected well enough to momentarily throw him off balance, his superior body righted itself almost immediately. It was a body made for leading the assault against humanity and the weapons they had at their disposal, so something as crude as a chunk of metal was ineffective against it. Both of you, get out of range, commanded Agent Nine, who had spent the entire fight so far dashing back and forth, stabbing Wallen anywhere she could with the makeshift knives that were hidden on her person. She had an almost endless supply of them, and when she could not find a new place to stab, she would drive the existing ones in even further leaving the enemy looking like the recipient of a botched acupuncture session. But none of the objects embedded in him had any noticeable effect, and he did not bleed from his many apparently superficial wounds. Latif and Ace fell back, each choosing defensive postures against the charge they expected to come. But as Agent Nine appeared at his shoulder, driving another spike into the side of Wallen's face, he changed targets and grabbed her instead plucking her off with lightning speed and throwing her full force against the wall. Twisting in the air with almost impossible agility, she hit the wall with hands and feet, flexing to absorb most of the impact. She still lost her breath, though, and as she landed, she was momentarily dazed. In that moment, he was upon her, aiming a blow that surely would have killed even her. 
but his face was suddenly illuminated by multiple disruptor beams, all focused on his eyes. They may not have had an effect on his body, but the brilliance of the combined lights managed to blind him, at least for the moment it took for Agent 9 to get clear. She dived for an open part of the room, bringing out a small canister. She rolled, turning as she came up into a crouch and twisted one end of the tube hard. The other end, facing Wallen, burst and a fine filigree net burst forth, wrapping around the monster. Wallen laughed. What is this? Do you intend to bind me with such a fragile thing? How foolish you humans are. It will be a pleasure to crush you all. Agent Nine did not take the bait. Instead, she shouted, Sylvia, as she ran directly at him. With a grin, Wallen aimed a punch directly at the woman, intending to smash her with his full strength. But she hesitated for just a moment in her run, causing him to fall short. Before he could pull back for a second try, she ran up his arm, using him as a springboard and leaping past at the shoulder. Meanwhile, Sylvia threw her weapon, the modified disruptor she took out the cyborg with, which Agent Nine deftly caught as she tumbled in the air. She hit the ground, spun, and, setting it to full power, struck Wallen full-on with the exposed leads. The effect was spectacular. The net around him, although torn in spots by his movements, proved to be a highly conductive material, and it lit up with vivid sparks. So, too, did the network of makeshift electrodes she'd managed to penetrate his outer shell with, and together the separate elements became one weapon, a superpowered taser of sorts. Wallen's body convulsed, and his face contorted in pain. He reached for her, but more clumsily than before, and she was easily able to roll away and administer another jolt. Something inside him seemed to be conductive as well, and she sent charge after charge into him, frying circuitry and organs all at once. As he fell to his knees, she gave him one last sustained charge, leaving the weapon against his body until the gun was entirely drained. It had the intended effect. Wallen's eyes glazed, and his body collapsed, completely immobile. Whatever he was before, now he was definitely dead. Silence fell over the room for several long moments, and then a spontaneous cheer went up from the whole group. You did it! Sylvia cried, jumping in place. We're saved! Agent Nine chuckled, letting herself fall back against the carpeted floor. Looks like we are, aren't we? Now we just need to find... A loud voice interrupted her, not unlike Wallen's, but more machine-like. Final invasion protocol initiated. Automatic setting engaged. Somewhere in the distance, they could hear machinery coming to life. What is it? asked Latif. What's going on? We beat Wallen. What else is there? Cursing, Agent Nine rose to her feet. A dead man's switch, she said. He must have set the whole invasion to take place even if he was killed somehow. If he can't have Earth, then neither will we. We've got to get all of you out of here. Come on! She ran through the door Wallen entered through earlier, closely followed by Ace, Latif, and the others. Scatter, she ordered. There should be some kind of ship here somewhere. Wallen wouldn't build a place like this without an escape option if he needed it. Quickly! From room to room they went, until finally Ace called out. I've got it! There's a passage to his ship, and it's a doozy! Got the damn thing kitted out like a salon. We should be able to fit everyone in if we toss out all his junk. Let's go, people. No time to waste. It took very little time to clear things out, all the while spurred on by the robotic voice giving status updates on the impending invasion. 
Ace found her way to the control module with Camilla in tow. Agent Nine came up behind them, casting a quick eye at the panels. You shouldn't have a problem with this. It's all Wallen's design, much like the little fish. The two of you light a fire and get out of here, fast as you can. I'm headed back to sabotage the base and destroy the robots. We can come with you, said Ace. Take down the whole thing together, then all of us can go. She shook her head. No, this is my responsibility. You've got to get these people to safety. If what I do causes the place to blow, I can't take the risk in you or them getting caught up in it. But, having no other option, she grabbed the pilot by the shoulders and pressed their lips together, hard. The kiss lasted only a few seconds, but it was effective. Ace sat back, stunned. Now fly, Agent Nine said. Fly like you've never flown before and get these people home. With that, she rushed away, securing the hatch behind her. It was strange to fly in space again. Even stranger to do so in a ship with a sort of artificial gravity inside it, rather than the feeling of floating, even while strapped down. Ace may have well have been sitting at the training console back at Dorado Aerospace's London campus. But a glance out the viewport confirmed they really were earthbound after leaving the moon. Control, can you receive me? said Camilla into the radio. This is an unnamed vessel carrying the survivors from the little fish. Come in, Control. There was a pause, and everyone held their breath. But soon, the welcome sound of a new voice filled the cabin. Unnamed vessel, this is Control. Is that Camilla? What the hell happened to you up there? We lost your signal when you were passing the moon. What do you mean survivors? Unnamed vessel, what's going on up there? Camilla shook her head, even though Control wouldn't see it. There's too much to explain, Control. Suffice that we have taken casualties and are headed home. Guide us down, then we'll tell you all about it, okay? Roger, unnamed vessel. We'll send coordinates for re-entry. But you've got a lot of splaining to do when you get here, understand? Understand. Unnamed vessel, out. She sat back in her seat and let out a long sigh. Behind her, Sylvia put her arms around her and squeezed, not saying a word. Neither of them needed to. The whole ship was quiet. There had been too many losses to feel elated about their escape, and the sacrifice of Agent Nine was felt all too keenly, especially by the seven remaining members of her party. There might be a time to feel good about it, but right now wasn't it. Suddenly, the radio lit up on its own, but this time not due to a message. A burst of static came through, a loud crackle that died almost as soon as it came. Ace's eyes flew to the rear monitors, just in time to see several points of light flaring up and then fading on the lunar surface behind them. Others, catching her movement, noticed as well. The significance was clear. Agent Nine was successful. The invasion was over. The following hours were quiet. No one spoke. A few cried. Eventually, exhaustion set in and most of the survivors fell into sleep piled as best they could together. Ace, however, remained awake, her attention taken up by scanning the space behind them over and over again. After some time, she started. Camilla, she shouted. Get over here and tell me I'm not imagining this. Her co-pilot stirred, still groggy, but came up behind her chair nevertheless. She peered at the monitors, looking to see what had Ace so excited. Then she spotted it a single metallic object headed in their general direction. I see it, she said. Do you think? Don't say it, Cam. I don't want to jinx it. 
but let's figure out the trajectory and see if we can't pick it up. I figure we've got one chance at this and it'll be tricky, but someone's counting on us to do it right. Don't screw it up. It took a series of tightly controlled burns, which needed precise manual control, but over the course of another couple of hours they were able to intercept the object, and moving fast enough that their relative speeds were similar. By then, most of the survivors had picked up on what they were doing and clustered around, silently cheering them on. As the object came close, Ace herself donned the sole spacesuit on board and exited the craft. With a magnetic grapple, she hooked onto the cylindrical object and pulled it close, noting that it was little more than a reinforced canister. She found a hatch, however, and a simple lever to open it. Inside was another spacesuit, like hers, although it was impossible to tell if anyone was inside. It didn't move, so she pulled it out before pushing the canister away, returning to the ship with its cargo. The passengers and crew clustered around, giving a collective gasp when the visor was opened, to reveal Agent Nine. Is she alive? asked Evelyn. I don't see any movement. Latif checked the suit. Her air tank is empty, he said. Quick, let's get her out of this thing. Maybe give her CPR or something. They worked quickly stripping her of the useless spacesuit and lay her on the floor. She still hadn't stirred, but Evelyn brightened. She's warm. I think she might recover. Are you sure? asked Sylvia. Remember when she got hit by the cyborg? We were sure she was a goner then, too. But I think she's built for things like this. Give her a chance. She'll come around. A murmur of agreement went through the group, and as agitated as they were, they held back from fussing with her too much. It was hard to tell if they would make things worse. But Ace took hold of her hand, massaging it and periodically checking her wrist. I'm not sure what's normal for her, but I think I've got a pulse. And look, her breathing is starting to come back. It didn't take long from there until finally her eyes opened. She remained still otherwise, but she blinked a few times before glancing around. I guess my long shot worked, she said weakly. You've got Ace to thank for that, said Camilla. She kept the faith. Otherwise, you would have shot right on past us, and we'd never know. I figured she would. She's the best pilot in the business, after all. Camilla laughed, an infectious sound that spread quickly to the whole group. Even Ace was smiling as she looked down at the prone woman. Don't give me that. I only did it because I owe you a debt, and I mean to pay it back right now. Not waiting for a reply, she bent down and kissed Agent Nine, holding it for longer than before, as all the survivors cheered. Kelsey N. is a proud Canadian woman living in the nation's capital, Ottawa. She has been everything from an office worker to a home care aide to a dishwasher to an animation student, before finally dedicating herself to writing. Several of her stories are available free on her website, The Book of Kels. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.